Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Mm. It's delightfully delicious. I've switched to coconut milk. It's actually coconut beverage, which I find amusing. Oh, I should say that it is Friday, May 24th, and I'm outside. Yay! Sunshine. It's actually supposed to be nice this weekend. Woohoo! So, yes, I have switched to coconut beverage, which there's actually coconut milk, there's coconut cream. I don't know why Trader Joe's calls theirs coconut beverage. Are there rules about this where you can only call it something if it has like a certain density? Certainly, the coconut beverage is more watery than the coconut milk, but it has the wonderful quality of taking tasting a hell of a lot less like coconut, which I am one of those people who just does not like coconut. Um, fortunately, the flavor is only not enjoyable to me. It's the... Um, I'm convinced that there must be like a chemical in the cell walls because it's the same thing that's like in parsley. I only get it if I actually bite down on the plant material and then there's something in there that's uh, that's just revolting to me, like turns my stomach. It's about the only thing that I'm that way about. I like cilantro fine. I'm not one of those people who has the gene where cilantro tastes like soap. But I definitely have whatever it is that makes coconut, the actual coconut flesh taste. (laughs) Puts my teeth on edge. So I am switching to coconut beverage because we're working more on keto diet. uh, Doing some stuff that's um, both keto and non-inflammatory to try to manage David's symptoms a little bit better, although he's doing quite well. We saw his doctor last week, and, you know, she's just always so impressed with him. His, um, if, if you don't know, he has early-onset Parkinson's, and he's 10 years into the diagnosis now, and um, his progression is blessedly and remarkably slow. So there, But there is some progression, and you know, managing his symptoms is a big deal. Fortunately, his doctor is really great. And she, um, you know, she wanted to tweak his medications to make it easier for him to continue working. He's been doing a lot of driving. Last night, he made (laughs) almost $200 driving people out to dinner and doing an Albuquerque airport pickup. So, you know, that's, that's great. And it, it's really wonderful that she's totally on board with how can we tweak your medication so that you're able to work when you want to work. She also keeps saying that he's um, spending a lot of his day practically unmedicated <clears throat> because he, you know, he doesn't want to take too much. And of course, the Parkinson's meds are the kind that if you, um, you know, the more you take, the more your body becomes resistant to them. So he's always gone as light as possible. But I think that's an important thing for us to remember is that she's always saying, you know, you're you're almost unmedicated. <laughs> so there's lots of room for him to be more medicated. Looks like Jackson's hung up here. See, cat wrangling. We're back to cat wrangling. You either get complaints about snow or cat wrangling here on the podcast. 
Yeah, I see what you did. <clears throat> Crow Fountain is going this morning. Okay, you're free. Fly and be free. Yeah. So, looks like San Diego Comic Con is going to happen. Um, I apologize for the lack of clarity on the podcast yesterday. Um, if you could or couldn't hear me, I only listened to a piece of it just to see what the quality was like. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, not so wonderful. Although I think you could hear me for the most part. Um, but I was trying the recording with the convertible top down. I thought maybe the mic might be... Uh, directional enough to compensate for that, but no such luck. No such luck. Uh, so, we, we won't do that again. Uh, it was kind of funny because my people were there, but I didn't find them until later. I thought, okay, they're not here. So I sat and I had a cup of green tea. I sat outside and I worked on some notes for the story. It was great because I did get a thousand words before I went in. I think I mentioned that. So, yeah, I got a really good day on the book yesterday. Um, <clears throat> so then I uh, <laughs> finished and I went inside and ran into Emily Ma <laughs> by the counter and she said, oh, Trent and I are over in this little corner and it really was hidden. It was back by the restroom. I would have seen them because I was heading into the restroom before I got in the car to drive home. So I sat and talked to them for like another half an hour. So that was nice. Now I know. Now I know where to look for them. Though it was very nice sitting outside. I found a little spot in the sun and protected from the wind. We had very high winds yesterday. The jet stream was right over us. So right now there's practically no wind at all. The wind, the wind sculpture is barely spinning. It's very nice. Cottonwood across the streets almost completely leafed out. Things really leafed out while I was gone. So we're ready for summer. We'll kick in. I think I'll start moving the plants outside today. Start hardening them off. Move them out for a couple hours and then take them back in. <clears throat> so. Work a bit more on the new shiny project. Next week I will switch to revisions on the fiery citadel. Um, Jenny Conway sent me edits. We went back and forth, well, only once. And as usual, her edits are insightful and useful. Uh, she keeps wanting me to tweak the romance more, which I think is funny. Because I guess I... I always feel like there's plenty of romance, but uh, she wants more, more developing of the romance. So that's fine. I think I feel like I um, curb myself from dwelling too much on the romance because I always enjoy that part so much. And I'm always thinking, okay, not so much romance, more action, more intrigue. But it's funny. And this happens a lot to me. I, I think it happens to a lot of writers. But there was one scene that kept wanting to be in there, and it's a conversation in the carriage between the hero and heroine, between Leah and Khan. 
uh, and it's one of their rare kind of private moments because they're in the carriage and they're on a narrow road in a long entourage of people. And, of course, there's um, throngs of cheering people on the sides and stuff, but they are, uh, you know, it's, it's like this little bubble within that. And, and they have this fairly long conversation. And I thought, oh, this conversation is too long and so on and so forth. I think I got kind of, I don't know if scarred is the right word, but um, when I was doing the crit group in Santa Fe and Ed Kamara, who, you know, wrote Lady Hawk and Enemy Mine, and, you know, I would like had a little fangirl meltdown when I met him, you know, and he said, and he says I'm a, a wonderful writer, which, you know, sent me over the moon. Uh, but one thing he did say to me, too, was he said, he said, so is it standard in, you know, do your readers expect there to be these very long exchanges <laughs> between characters? I was like, yeah. But, you know, of course, Lady Hawk <laughs> is, is a wonderful story, but, you know, he's a wolf by night and she's a hawk by day and they're cursed they're cursed lovers and she and so they like only see each other's human beings at the moment of transition at sunset and sunrise as as he goes from you know man to wolf and she from hawk to woman so you know i i suppose that's an incredibly brief exchange the other end of the spectrum of exchanges so anyway, I have this very long exchange in the carriage that I indulged myself by writing. I kept thinking I needed to cut it or shorten it, and then I was like, no, I want it. And, it, and then Jenny specifically pointed it out and said, this conversation in the carriage is wonderful. So I was like, okay. Note to self, conversation in carriage. Uh, more romance. She has some other things. I need to um, make some decisions about my magic system and I mean, she rightfully called me on various things. So I'm going to have to decide how I want to revise that, because normally I revise beginning to end, but she has asked me to add a few th few scenes, and I'm kind of wondering if I should go into, um, you know, like write those scenes first, and then go back from the beginning and, and smooth it from beginning to end, or just do them as I encounter I'm probably just going to do them, do it beginning to end, aren't I? I don't know why I even consider changing it up. Yeah, like I always say, own your process, and that's mine. I, I go, I think, that way from beginning to end. Oh. So I'm looking forward to doing that revision. Uh, I'll get it done mostly next week. Jenny's in the U.K. somewhere right now, so she doesn't get back till June 3rd. I figure I might as well just get it done. Because then I get paid. We like to get paid. That means I'm setting... I'm thinking the fate of the Tala is probably going to be out in August. I was hoping for July, but it's probably going to be August. Um, which sends the breaks, right? That's what we do. Jackson's laying down here at my feet. He's all happy in the sun. We are all happy to have sun. So, 
I want to talk to you guys about the Amanda Palmer concert, but I think that's going to take me longer than the time I have left. So I think I'll save that for Monday. I'm going to talk, I know, don't don't groan, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Game of Thrones finale. Uh, my mom sent me a couple of articles on them. <laughs> and, you know, everybody's giving very interesting commentary. Uh, you know, I guess the final episode got the most viewers HBO has ever gotten for a single episode. So, you know, nobody will care what we say about the storytelling because they got the viewership. But one thing that I thought was very interesting story-wise that made the ending so very unsatisfying, and and you don't have to, I, I guess that was slightly unspoilery, although I don't know how you could have avoided hearing that so far. But you could stick with me for the moment because I won't talk about specifics um, quite yet, unless you don't want to hear anything about it at all. But anyway, I was on this panel at Nebula Conference that I think I mentioned on here already. Well, I wrote a blog post. Oh, no, I wrote a blog post about the burnout panel. Um, I was on this other panel, and I think I did talk about it, that was um, Mary Robinette Cole posited that romance has the structure and that fantasy and science fiction are more the flavor, which I didn't agree with to begin, but, you know, she really pushed us on structure and so forth and asking us what the structure of fantasy and structure of science fiction were. And for everything we could come up with, we could then think of exceptions. So, whereas romance does have a pretty determined structure, so do other genres. And she pointed out, she was listing, you know, like mystery has a structure, thriller has a structure. Uh, you know, you know essentially what the plot will be, right? Uh, you don't know the details, but you know the overall arc. You know, mystery, find the clues, setbacks, discover who did it at the end. And one of the ones she listed was horror. And I said, well, what is the structure of horror? Because I'd never really thought of horror as having a structure. I always thought of horror as just being like whatever is like really gross and horrifying. But, you know, I'd, <laughs> I don't like scary stuff. So that's, you know, my, my uh, bias. And she said, well, that horror always starts with somebody making some kind of terrible decision. And events cascade from there. And I, I thought, thought that was really interesting. And it kind of dovetailed in my mind with Game of Thrones because the Game of Thrones creators said that they had taken the finale of Breaking Bad as their example for how to end the series, which is ironic because Breaking Bad had an amazing finale, a perfect finale, and not so much Game of Thrones. Uh, but I could see how in many ways Breaking Bad follows the horror structure because it starts with, and I feel like this is not a spoiler because it's the premise of the entire show, but it starts with this chemistry teacher, mild-mannered Albuquerque teacher, chemistry teacher, discovering that he has an incurable cancer and that he will leave his family destitute. And so he uses his chemistry skills to make 
and it's not a completely direct line, but I think it all happens within the first episode. <clears throat> he exhausts the possibilities for getting money, and there's, you know, of course, many layers to fuel his character and his rage. But he uses his chemistry skills to brew, to brew, to make, distill, refine one of those, uh, an incredibly pure form of meth, which he then begins to sell. And it's, it escalates, you know, throughout the, what, five seasons or something. It escalates until he becomes a crime lord. And he continues to make various decisions along the way where he, you know, is, you know, a lot of people consider him to be one of the most terrible villains because in some ways he's very methodical about what he does, but he makes the choice to kill people um, or to allow people to die or to corrupt people's lives all in pursuit of this goal. But that initial, that whole descent is triggered by this initial choice, right? I need to make a whole bunch of money really fast, and here's how I will do it. And everything cascades from there. And so that finale of Breaking Bad brings everything around full circle to that initial decision and to his character flaws and he does what he can to write some balances, but then, I mean, if you don't want to know how the series ends, tune out now. <laughs> but, okay, all you people who don't want to know how Breaking Bad, which has been out for years and years ends, um, at the very end, he dies. And it is, it is the correct ending because it is fully telegraphed from the very beginning that this is going to be a tragic story. You know this is, even though he triumphs in many ways along the way and and satisfying ways, you know this is going to be a tragedy. So, switching to Game of Thrones finale, which you definitely shouldn't listen now if you don't want spoilers, because I'm going to talk specifics. So, in the finale, they have Jon Snow murder his lover, his the woman he loves, supposedly, in cold blood for duty to protect the kingdoms. He kills Daenerys, who has gone mad. And Bronn becomes, Brandon Stark becomes king of the Iron Throne. Sansa becomes queen of the north. Tyrion becomes hand to Bronn. Uh, Arya goes off on her adventures. I think that ties up the major characters who are still alive. Oh, and Cersei meets her death. So the people try to claim that Daenerys's arc was cued all along. And you know, and if they were taking Breaking Bad as their example, then they wanted it to be this thing where um, somehow Daenerys was always going to meet this fate due to her initial terrible decisions and John was always going to kill her because of his adherence to duty. But there, this was never laid into their characters. There were glints of, you know, like this whole, oh yeah, Daenerys could be mad like her family. But she never made that initial terrible decision. You know, from the, in the very beginning, she's basically an innocent child who's sold as a bride. Uh, you could see that she made a few decisions along the way that they considered ruthless, 
but you know, and they tried to drag those out in the finale to say, hey, look, you know, she did make terrible decisions, you know, like to kill all the slave masters. But, you know, they were all slave masters, and she did not slaughter innocents. She was always adamantly against slaughtering innocents. So then at the end, they have her slaughter innocents. Jon Snow, he always defended uh, the defenseless, as it were, um, even with Ygritte, the wildling, you know nothing, Jon Snow. Uh, he, you know, even when she shot him with arrows when he escaped, he simply took the arrows and rode off. So he's not going to be the guy who's going to come back and kill the woman he loves out of duty. He would not have killed Ygritte. He couldn't kill uh, Daenerys. I don't believe it. I don't believe he could have done it. And those last couple of episodes uh, were as, you know, in many ways just boring because they like wanted us, they spent all of their time showing the devastation and Daenerys being crazy and killing people and like over and over showing the devastation of King's Landing. Look, look, all the people are dead. And it's like, yeah, oh, we see, we know, we know. And it failed to persuade us. Because they didn't, it wasn't laid into the character. And, you know, I've, apparently a lot of people feel like they would have been okay if, with the way it played out if it had been laid in. Um, it was just too huge of a reversal for them to do in six episodes. Um, and, <clears throat> and I'm standing by that they should have saved the battle for the Night King, with the Night King for the end. So we could have had a rousing finale. But... It's over with, and I will try not to belabor the point. We'll see how I do. I'll probably still reference it in the future. Um, you know, because it, it is about uh, fan service, and, and that's why people compare it with Endgame, too, Avengers Endgame, which was a series finale for 22 movies, an arc built over 22 movies. And, you know, there are things that people want out of the story. So that segues to my experience with the Amanda Palmer concert that I saw in Los Angeles, and I will talk about that on Monday, because uh, they do connect. So I hope you all have a wonderful Memorial Weekend. I know Monday is a holiday, but it's not for hardworking writers for me. I've taken enough time off, so I will be here, and I hope you are too. Take care. Bye-bye.